it's the trees. Who's there? I said, as I stood in my head. And nobody answered me. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Jay. Welcome again to the Fringeworthy Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week and every week as we bring you news of the other dimensions of the million, million worlds that are out there. This week, we are continuing our survey of exploring in the past, where we look at alternate worlds that are time-shifted that are in the period of time between the 5th century and the 11th century, and how you can explore those worlds and what adventures there are to have there. Tonight, uh, in addition to our guest hosts, Jay Haley and Robert Pulaski, John Ryer is going to tell us all about exploring the New World in the South and North Americas. John? Well, what I'm going to talk about is pre-Columbian America. Most of the action is going on down in Central and South America at this time. Uh, in North America, there are the Mound people in the Mississippian cultures, but they really only occur during the end of our, the time period we're talking about. They're starting in the 10th century, and they go on from there till up until the 16th century. But they do get started, and they usually are also called the, the Mississippian culture. And they built large ceremonial constructions, you know, basically mound pyramids. Though another culture during that time period, the Anazazi people were prevalent in the uh, southwest, famously in Chaco Canyon, uh, where they built massive structures out of adobe. They had several major ceremonial uh, complexes. They uh, pretty much lived subsistence, uh, the the subsistence life, uh, growing corn, Basically, there was a major drought in the area, and that pretty much killed off farming in that area, and the people just dispersed at that point. The Mound people, they formed mainly in the, along the Mississippi River, and they built these massive complexes. The trouble with both these two cultures is that, well, we know next to nothing about them other than what we have found in their uh, remains. There are some wonderful reconstructions of, of the Mississippian culture. There's, there's, Great reconstructions of the folks of the Anasazi and their various uh, city complexes, but they're all reconstructions. We really, really don't know what these folks were, were, were on about. So you're venturing there with these folks. GMs, you have some bit of a free reign here. As long as you remember, they don't actually have modern-day beliefs. We really don't know how they react or how they treat people. We can only surmise how these people uh, would react to a bunch of fringe really popping up out of nowhere and stopping by for tea. Places that actually have a lot of things going on at this time, from, like I said, the 5th century to 11th century, are down in uh, Central America. Uh, we're talking the Mayans. This is the peak of their culture. 500 AD, or 500 CE for those who use the current era dating. 
What does the top of their culture mean to you, John? This is when they had the most buildings, the most cities. They were at their most powerful. Now, there was no Mayan empire. There were various Mayan city-states around the Yucatan Peninsula in, the, in that uh, region. They were the mightiest city-states in the area. In fact, the only city-states in the, city states in the area. Each city-state was ruled by a god-king who basically maintained his position, attacking other cities and gaining prisoners for their sacrifices. What makes what him makes a god-king? God king? What made him a god-king? Uh, birth, taking the role. What made Pharaoh a god-king? Pharaoh was a god-king, too. Divine right, though in this case the Mayan divine right, they ruled their city-states, as most cases, as effective generals. Now, combat with the Mayans, in fact, combat with, with many of the Mesoamerican peoples is a bit different than what we, we see in, say, uh, Europe or in Asia, in that a lot of times the combat is to take prisoners because they need to make sacrifices. It's kind of hard to sacrifice a dead body. So it's a lot of impetus to capture people. So a lot of the combat is ritualized. A lot of it is uh, going for the good captures. And the God King is usually there on the field of battle, do, you know, fighting alongside his warriors, because it's part of his prestige. It's part of his power culture. It's a cult of personality with what rules these city-states. Everyone, and everyone has a position in these city-states. Everyone has a place. The Mayans were one of the first uh, cultures also to develop a middle class. Hey, John. Yes? Where would I go to look at, to, if I wanted to look up more about the Mayan cultural structure? Oh, there's plenty of sites. I mean, there's, of course, our favorite place, Wikipedia, uh, the font of knowledge. <laughs> but uh, there's other there's our sites. I'll, we'll definitely have show notes on them. Uh, there's several sites on, there's several websites on different archaeological sites. There's a ton of books on, on the Mayans. Uh, of all kinds. I have several. Uh, including some of the older ones uh, up to up to uh, more recent editions. You can usually spot the older ones because they'll talk about the Mayans as being these peace-loving um, mathematicians, you know, astronomers. They were nothing of the sort. They basically were like every other Mesoamerican culture uh, in it for the blood and sacrifice. They just happened to be one of the few cultures that develop writing. Now, there's some evidence that the culture that preceded them had a form of writing as well, but the Mayans really took that to, to a peak and they developed a complete writing system that is fairly complex. One of the complexities is that no two characters are, are alike. Well, not quite. I mean, there, there's a great Nova show about cracking the Mayan code, and they point out that the Mayans love using different symbols for the same words or same sounds, and there are just variations of the same symbols. So you'd have to you have to be really good at reading the different symbols. You know, they did it just to spite us. Yeah, we want to figure that, but they figured that the, the the Mayan scribes were doing it for artistic reasons. They would change the shape of, of the uh, cock of the of the of the cock symbol uh, C H A, which is the um, uh, chalk, I'm sorry, chalks, the change the, the shape of the chalk symbol for the uh, rain god to be slightly different, to be more in tune with the rest of the uh, carving they've done. They invented fonts. Is that what you're trying to tell me, John? Yeah. 
they invented fonts, <laughs> different fonts, and uh, it's it's uh, that, that's one reason why it was so hard to crack the code because people were thinking it was it. There were too many symbols for a syllabic language or alphabet, but too few for a hieroglyphic. And they couldn't get their heads around until someone guy realized, well, you know, it's just the same symbol, just variations of that symbol. <laughs> you know, they're being artistic. And that's why it got so hard to read their language. All right, we go back into this whole God King thing, John, with all the sacrifices and everything. So if you were to drop a malware right in the middle of this thing, would you see any difference at all? No. It's hog heaven for a Miller. <laughs> you probably drain the, the victim first of any life energy first before you, before you cut his heart out and then you... Are you talking about the ones that can absorb knowledge through yes. graining constitution? Yes. Oh, okay. That's, that's All right. Yeah, they would probably do a, do a, a suck down first. But, okay, uh, is that is that life energy? I thought they were actually eating and processing the brains of the, of their victims. It depends on the level we're talking about. The the most uh, powerful, the most developed, uh, uh, or I should say, the least degenerate version of, of the Meller can take your identity and your memories simply by touching you and just draining a, a point of constitution, which comes back. It's just a temporary drain. Yeah, Great Miller and and Master Miller can do that. High Miller, but, I'm not sure they can do that. No. Everybody from that point on has to ingest the brain spinal column in order to get the memories. Yeah. Though I don't believe you have to do that in order to take its shape. Could drop a Meller into a, into a position. He wouldn't ha- necessarily have to be the God King itself. You, someone's got to hold the bodies down while they're being, you know, sacrificed. So it could be one of the various priests working under the God King. It could even be the person who went out and did all that collecting. That's true. So, they would enjoy that. Oh, yeah. But also, don't forget, too, the, the kings out there as well doing that collecting. So this is a really different society. Really hands-on, huh? Yeah, really hands-on. It's a, it's a personality cult. And therefore, in personality cults, you have to demonstrate you have the power, the ability to, to rule. And that's one of the failings of, of the Mayan culture, which is one of the reasons why uh, it collapsed, was that when things happened, environmental droughts, plagues, whatever... When they started happening and they were beyond the God King's ability to deal with, people said, okay, you're not God King anymore, bye, and left. You know, people think the mines are gone. No, they're still down there. They simply gave up cities. They figured cities weren't worth it anymore and they gave up cities. The mines are still in, are still down in Yucatan and, they, and just ask the Mexican government. They'll tell you they're down there. So they're just waiting to do their sacrifices? They still doing those? No, they've been converted. They do animal sacrifices and some ritual stuff, but no, 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 cutting the hearts out and uh, tossing the bodies down the down the stairs anymore. They're good Christians. Well, almost good Christians. <laughs> well, it, it is true that Catholicism is one of the strongest um, yeah. uh, religions down in South America. Like with most convertees at the point of a sword, their adherence to the rules is only lasts as long as someone's watching. When the, the missionaries came over, which I'm sure might have been during the time which we're talking, mm-hmm. they probably allow in order to help the conversion be easier, they probably allowed, well, you can keep that custom and that custom, but that whole heart-cutting-out type thing, no, that can go. We don't need that here. But little rituals and whatnot, they probably allowed to keep them. Christianity has a long tradition of co-opting all of the local and pagan festivals and turning it to being a Christian festival. 
which I always thought was a great idea because, okay, they're, everyone's still celebrating, but now they're doing it for another reason. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to promote your religion. I mean, nobody likes a religion doesn't have any parties. Yeah. Just, you know, they just don't last. So if you can co-opt and, and make people feel good about the things that they enjoy, but at the same time, you, by uh, by putting a different meaning to those festivals and those rituals, you therefore erase the meaning that was previously there. Therefore, the old religion goes away because nobody, you know, they don't understand what it means anymore. As John, you know, the, the most classic example we have of this is giving of eggs at Easter. Oh, yeah. There's nothing in Christianity that has anything to do with giving eggs at Easter. Easter okay? But we all, we yeah, we all love getting those eggs. And we love those, you know, whether they're chocolate or just hard-boiled. So, and I don't want to go into, you know, what they really mean. But the point is, is that here we have something that was probably very important to some group at some point. But uh, now they're just, it's used as a way to get yourself fat and happy. The Mayans were a case structure, case structure in many of the Mesoamerican cultures. There was the, the god king and his family, followed down by uh, priests. Then there was warriors. And then you get the artisans, the art- artists who basically decorated the insides of the various temples. And then you finally get down to the peasants, the people with the backbone of the culture, uh, the ones who really decide if the culture is going to live or die. How do you transcend uh, the, the, the caste? If you are, if you come in and and they think you're one caste and you want to be a higher caste, so you can talk to the people in charge. If you're a foreigner, yeah, it's sort of like with with, with the Indians. You're a foreigner. You're not. You're obviously not not a Mayan. And and you also remember too. This is the Mayans had Kuklakan, the famous you know mistake that was made by Montezuma with Cortez. The same trick can happen with uh, some white guy with a beard. And with your group, look, it's Kukla Khan, <laughs> the feathered serpent. Okay, Kukla Khan, not Kubla Khan, the Asian Khan. That's true. Kukla Khan, uh, Kukla Khan I forgot his, what the other names are. Kukla Khan is also known as Quetzalcoatl in the, uh, amongst the Aztecs. It's the same god. The, the Mayans, the Aztecs, they all share a lot of the, the same gods. Before in religion and gods, mm-hmm. I suggested that you guys say, "Oh well, we're gods," because we've got all these godlike powers, you know, and we've got technology and stuff like that. But uh, you were very much against that idea because you thought that sooner or later they'd find your clay feet and then they'd kind of turn against you. Do you still think that's would would be a bad idea to do in this kind of a culture? Yeah, I think it would be because um, because here, you know, in some cultures they may just get mad at you. Here, they'd cut your heart out. <laughs> And do various other things to your person. What they did to themselves is bad enough. This is the culture of sacrifice. The god king would routinely take a spine of seascate, one of those spines, and run it through a piece of his anatomy to give a blood sacrifice. If he had a queen, she'd run a rope covered in thorns through a hole in her tongue to get more blood from her tongue. I mean, these people believe in blood sacrifice, personal blood sacrifice from themselves. It's also the culture of people who love hallucinogenic drugs. The Mayans cultivated many kinds of mushrooms and many other kinds of drugs. They had tobacco cigars. They were powerful enough to cause you to have visions if you smoked one. 
These people believe in having trips to talk to their gods on a regular basis. They would chew leaves that had cocaine in them. Well, it's the Incans. Uh, the coca, the coca plant is up in Peru and Chile in that area. Yeah, that that's South America more than Central America. Yeah, Central America is more mushrooms and various drugs. They even had hypodermic needles. They made needles that they could inject drugs into themselves. Hmm. This is a fairly druggy culture. They were routinely believing in having visions. Found the best way to get visions was to ingest various herbs and mushrooms and ver- uh, other things that cause them to see things. Well, what other alternative did they have to give themselves visions? Oh, if you can do like they did in, middle, in some places in the Eastern, which is starve yourself to death until you have visions. Have people drill holes in your head? Yeah, that too. Well, that's common across most of the world. Trepanation is a time-honored practice amongst every ancient culture. Okay. Trepanation? What is that? Trepan- trepanning. Trepanning, yeah. Trep- yeah, don't, don't listen to John. <laughs> trepanning, yeah, basically making holes in your head. Yeah, I think I'm it's called, being it's trepanned. Called... I think I'm being trepanned. I really think so. <laughs> yeah, the the, the the tra part of it is because it's usually a triangularly shaped uh, probe that they pound. See, because they, they didn't have screws early on, so they just kind of pounded a wedge-shaped thing into your head. Yeah. Uh, ow. Or they, yeah, or they use, really, really painful. Or they use a very sharp, curved flint knife, cut a groove until they get through, and then cut another groove to get through, and then cut another groove to get through. They make See, holes. I only get treated like that three or four puns in. You know, <laughs> it usually takes half a gaming session before they're doing that to me. And they would volunteer for this, by the way. They figure sometimes it was done to relieve, you know, well, pressure on the brain. And it would work. Yeah, because you would bleed freely when you did that. Well, yeah, but also the wounds would heal. They were all, all these holes were healed. Basically, the bone, that bone was growing back when they found, the, when they find the skulls. That meant the person was alive and alive for a long time for that to happen. Actually, talking about skulls, the minds, at least the highborn minds, practice skull shaping on their children. They would use boards on a child's head to shape it in the shape of, of a corn cob. And Mayan heads, if you ever see a Mayan skull, it's, it's elongated. You know, they grew a lot of corn. Uh, and c- the corn actually came from southern America. Not South America, but southern North America. Uh, in the plains and so forth, where it was actually grown and then spread south. Uh, Jay, you're asking about trade, and that, that's part of the trade right there was in terms of foodstuffs. Corn actually was, I believe, formed either in Mexico, in the Mexico Valley, or at least in that area, and it basically grew out and spread across North America and into Central America. It didn't get down into, say, uh, Peru uh, or in Chile in those areas because basically there's the thing called the Nicaraguan rainforest, the most impenetrable rainforest you ever saw in your life. John, have you read Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs, and Steel? No, I haven't. Okay, I recommend it. It talks about that kind of American trade Mm -hmm. and uh, some of the reasons why uh, the population stayed lower than in Europe, and so there's less population density and and less swift technology growth, is that some of the food crops that were successful in one area couldn't transfer across latitudes. At least that's Diamond's thesis, and it sounds sounds pretty good to me. But uh, he also talked about how trade would go hand-to-hand up and down the coasts of the two continents. I'm actually proponent of the theory that one of the reasons why we didn't see uh, massive culture in, in the Americas was that there was no uh, beast of burden. We had no, there was no horse. You can't tame a buffalo to ride. The biggest animal 
that it was in use was the llama. Diamond discusses that to a good depth too. Yeah, it's something definitely to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, his analysis seemed to be more based on basically counting the how many calories a given acre of of crops and amount of hunted game and tame animals could produce versus how much the people in resident needed. We have to point out then that the Mayans and the uh, Aztecs practiced a form of agriculture that actually was very prolific, very productive. Tenochtitlan land had a population of over a million. So why did the Mayans abandon their cities? Drought. So the drought came along, ruined the agriculture, and they just didn't have enough food to support that population density. Yeah. And they okay. they broke up. Also, there was also some invasions. This was the time when the Mixtecs were busy g- going around, kicking the tires, seeing what they can take. Toltecs, Chicamec, these are up in Mexico. And these are actually guys are the nastiers of the, the Mesoamericans. Were um, these basically the leftovers of the Aztecs, these various tribes that you mentioned? No, they predate the Aztecs. Oh, okay. It yeah. sounds like, it, from the names, it sounds like they're precursors of the Aztecs. Yeah, okay. All right. In fact, uh, you can almost trace a line from the Aztecs to the Toltecs. The Aztecs actually don't come into being until like about uh, 200 years after our little time period there. So the Aztecs start off about 1300? About 1200. About okay. 1200. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, about 1200. Remember, it's so 5th to 11th century, so that's 400 to 1000, B, 1000, A, 1000 AD. Okay, so John, uh, <laughs> you're, you're a GM and you've got a portal that opened in a jungle. Mm-hmm. Down in South America somewhere. What kind of adventure are you going to run? What are, what are you going to have uh, set up for the PCs there? There's a massive culture. We didn't know about this until recently. A conquistador who decided to go for a trip up the Amazon and wrote about all these wonderful cities. And years later, people go through There's nothing. One of the main reasons why a lot of these cultures just vanished was that every one of these conquistadors was carrying various plagues, smallpox, chickenpox, measles. That did a lot more to uh, destroy these cultures than the conquistadors did, although the conquistadors were were exceptionally vile by our modern standards. Like the Mississippian culture, never once encountered anyone, any, any, any Europeans, completely wiped out. Because smallpox and chickenpox and measles got up and, and up there and, and basically wiped them out before they even met the Europeans. So yes, it's, it's a bad thing, and it's and this happens. Might there be an adventure at trying to distribute some sort of cure or some sort of immunity to smallpox? That could be done, but that would be after the time period we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hello. Which is the great thing about traveling the fringes? You're automatically immune, made safe for the culture. You know, you're not carrying any diseases they can catch. Which is nice. But as you mentioned, in South America, in the Amazon basin, we found out there was this massive culture. They started doing aero surveys and realized there were massive cities down there that basically had a good portion of the uh, jungle under cultivation. In fact, they have found the most fertile soil in the world in the Amazon basin, and not just because it's a rainforest. Rainforests, in fact, are typically not very fertile. Uh, most of the fertility is in the trees, not in the ground. Hey John, it's a symbiosis. If you take one or the other away from each other, yeah. then the, the soil becomes useless, and so and the tree okay. dies. So you, you'd send uh, you'd send fringe walkers on kind of a live action archaeology trip. We we do have some ideas how the culture re- would react, and they actually are kind of friendly to foreigners. 
when it comes down to it. Uh, we're not quite sure if they're going to, you know, lop your head off and scoop the insides out later, but they are kind of friendly to, to, to strangers uh, because you never see them hardly at all. So it may be a different culture there. Uh, this is this takes a, this would be a lot of research on a, a GM. If you're going into Central America, you're you're definitely hitting the Mayans. Uh, you're going to be running into the Maya, into a Mayan city state like uh, Tikal or, or Caracol, one of those. And they there you basically got to watch your step because you, you know, yes you're a foreigner you're a stranger. They may want to test you see if you are a god. Even if you don't want to be a god, they may still think you might be a god. As Bruce pointed out, you have all this neat stuff. <laughs> you must be a god. <sighs> well, also, any time that you have cultures that are separated by very rugged territories, mm -hmm. then they're used to the fact that they're being people not too far away that they don't know. So that's one reason why foreigners may be more uh, welcome in an area this this more harshly rugged, yeah. because as I said, there's more of them. Uh, that was that way in Scotland, uh, mm -hmm. because of the hills and and uh, there were places in Scotland where people just uh, a couple mountain ridges over didn't even speak the same language. So it, it's quite possible down here in, in this area you're talking about for them to be a very accepting of foreigners. But then, as again, as you said, if they're looking for gods. Well, they can't. They don't have to look far when it comes to the fringeworthy. Yeah, and you know, and also we haven't even touched on the uh, the Peruvian cultures. Now, the Incans are aren't there yet. Uh, they're working on it during this time period. During this time period, we picked there aren't Incans, but they are the Tiahuanaco. They have all these wonderful tongue twisting names you can try to pronounce properly. <laughs> they're busy building these massive structures up in the mountains of the Andes. That you know, people like Eric von Däniken going, oh, there's no way these primitive people could build them, and yes, they they build them. We can show you how. It's not that hard. In fact, in some places they're still building them. Really, in most cases, it's just a matter of manpower. I have two big problems with Eric von Däniken <laughs> in a Fringeworthy game. The first one is that there actually are ancient astronauts, and we're borrowing from a little bit of that mythology for the Termelon. That's true. The second one is that it's still illegal to haul him onto a uh, fringe platform and throw him off the edge. <laughs> and quite possibly impossible. Yeah. Send him to bed every night with a dozen crystals. Actually, that's not true. That's not true. We, we know we, we can do it. We just have to freeze him. Oh, yeah. Get him low enough temperature. We know we can transport him onto the fringe path because the system will see well, him as... If he's that frozen, then then you know all the fun's out of it. Let's go do something else. Let let him thaw it on his own. By the way, John, you do realize that you hate uh, Eric Von Daniken, but he, he, you know he's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you go to some of these fringe worlds, you are going to find ancient astronauts there. Yeah, you are. You could also do some actually impossible structures if you if you were of a mind to. Yeah. Stuff that uh, that Stone Age humans really couldn't do, like a freeway. This is the time period when the Nazca lines are being made. At the beginning of this time period we're talking about, the Nazca people are still making their lines and so forth. They're now into the geometric period. They're making geometric lines. These people that you're referring to, these are the people that made the pictures of animals and things that were so big that you can only really see what they are from, like, high in the air or in space, right? That's correct. And lots of straight lines and seemingly roads, but it's all just uh, turned over rock, so it's light-colored against dark color. There's an oxidized crust of soil, and if you move it aside, you have a white, bright soil underneath. Come another thousand or so years, they won't be able to see them at all, because they'll all have oxidized back to, to invisibility. 
but yeah, the, the Nazca people are busy doing their things. And, you know, it's not very hard with two guys with some strings and some sticks to show you how you can make straight lines that are miles long. The big question that is still up in the air about the Nazca lines, isn't it, is why? <laughs> Who were they aiming the lines at? What was going on there? Why? Well, one thought was that they may actually be paths, that these are ceremonial paths. One of the interesting things with Nazca, they would sacrifice people. We know this because we found their bodies buried along the lines. And the Nazcas were very practical. They would cut your head off. They cut your head off when you're still alive. So these are like ritual beheadings. Cool. Now there is a fun afternoon. What other sort of adventures could you run concerning a, a Mesoamerican setting? We always say don't run an adventure that takes place when a certain event happens. Well, when you're in this area, one thing that's going to happen on a regular basis is a, is a raid. From one Mayan city to another Mayan city is going to be a raid. And if you happen to be in the middle, well, yeah, you're going, to, you're going to be engaged in a Mayan raid at that point, and you're not quite sure what's going to happen. When guys running around with obsidian swords, wearing jaguar skins, screaming bloody murder at each other, and you're sitting there in your Humvee wondering what the heck are we going to do. Uh, if I have a Humvee, it's drive the other way. Yeah. Under a certain terrain, the Humvee actually goes slower than a person running. That's okay. A Humvee does not mind nearly as much when it gets hit with an obsidian sword as my precious self. Mayans actually lived in three different areas. There were the Alpine Mayas who lived in the mountainous terrain. There's the Peninsula Mayans who lived in the Yucatan Peninsula, which is fairly flat and not very many trees. It's a bit arid. And then there's the Mayans who live in jungle. Now, there's wide open areas where the cities are, then there's jungle, and it's deep, impenetrable jungle except for the occasional Mayan roads, the Mayans made roads, if you didn't know that. So, yeah, you find yourself uh, in an area where driving your Humvee is a bit like trying to drive through traffic where someone's decided to put steel posts into the cement, into the pavement, blocking you every, every step of the way. <laughs> trying to drive the other way real fast is going to be kind of hard sometimes. <laughs> well, if it's that harsh, why did they take a Humvee there to get ambushed by the Mayans in the first place? It's the players! Players do stupid things. Sorry, people. I prefer to say amusing. Yeah, amusing. They do interesting things. There you go. <laughs> you know, this, they say, this be safe. Let's stay in the Humvee. And then they find themselves in a situation where it's like, okay, who has combat driving skills? One obsidian sword into your radiator is, is pretty much toast for your, for your Humvee at that point. Like to have somebody here that actually has experience with a with a with a Humvee, <laughs> and anybody who sticks an obsidian sword into into my radiator has more problems than my engine overheating. If you are going to fight people who are running around with obsidian swords and things like that, are there any particular techniques that you would use to fight them that you wouldn't nor that you might not use against a modern foe? They also have these wooden bats, so to speak. They're like wooden clubs they use. Because remember, the main goal is not to kill people. It's actually to capture people. So the combat there is a little bit different. They're doing non-lethal combat. If you were to make a Mayan warrior, an experienced Mayan warrior, say if you got a CR6 character, he may be a CR7 or CR, CR8. So he's going to be a lot better at fighting at close combat than you are. A lot better with the, uh, with the melee combat. So we want to shoot him from far away. Yeah. Well, how about gas? Would gas be a good technique? 
They're not wearing gas masks, so yeah. Would their culture, which includes so much drug-taking, give them a bonus to resisting <laughs> the effects of these things? No, because CS works in a totally different way than, than, than the hallucinogenics. Now, trying to use sleep gas on them, yeah, I'd probably say they might have a chance against that. But against CS, nah. They get okay. a standard, standard save, saving throw against CS at that point. Yeah. Of course, that only works in close ranks because, yeah. I mean, gas, it, it sounds great, but gas, you spread out, unless you're carrying a really large amount of it, mm-hmm. uh, you really just can't, you know, send it out everywhere. It's You end up, like, getting one oh. time, you, get, you know, and then it's done. It's gone. It's, it's, it's all you can do. I mean, you would need a gas generator and, you know, military-grade gas generator you know, to, to, to even do something like that. Right, and I did would frown on giving you one of those. Oh uh, yeah, there's only one use for those things. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Right. If you're fighting, so, if you're fighting guys, you know, fighting the situation. Uh, Jay says is try to get the get the heck out of there. Would aerial be a better solution? Going up higher, it, yeah. would, it would certainly enhance your god image. Oh yeah, uh, if you, know, if you could dirigibles and other type things. Yes, that would that would work. Because remember, it's a the feathered serpent is a flying serpent, so that actually would enhance your your if you're trying to do the god thing. They use arrows, bows and arrows, for hunting. For combat, it's basically mano y mano. See how badass I am with my club or my or my sword, and I'm gonna go. We're gonna go mano mano y mano at this point. So we know that they had pretty strong rules about how to fight each other. Oh yeah, and they kind of expected everybody else to play by those rules. That's right. That's okay. That's that's why Cortez was such a big deal breaker when he attacked the Aztecs because he wasn't playing by the rules. He was shooting, he was shooting to kill, and the Aztecs and weren't. shoot shooting from a distance and riding people down with horses and basically not playing right. Okay. So until next week, this is Bruce Shepard from Atlanta saying, "Remember, there are millions of worlds out there, so go explore them." This is John from Seattle, and remember, keep your powder dry and keep those cards and layers coming in. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun.